welcome to The Aggressive Life. If you're in The Aggressive Life, you want to cover a wide range of topics. You never know exactly what we're going to talk about. The through line, though, is going after something. Not waiting for something to take care of itself. Not just explaining away my problems or my issues, but actually aggressively going at what it is. It might be going after my career. It might be going after my physical fitness. It might be going after relationships. It might be going after a chink in the armor, like addiction. Just what we all want to talk about in the aggressive life, addiction. Oh, so excited to talk about addiction. All the addicts right now are going, head for the hills. I don't want to talk about this. At least the ones that are in denial. Others are going to get a nice dose of fresh water. Others of us who may have somebody in our life that's struggling with addiction, hopefully is going to get some, some help. We have a substance abuse problem inside of our country. Some even describe it as an epidemic, but my guest today, he prefers the term epic battle. Why? Because it's personal for him. He's been in the fight for over a decade and he's winning and he's helping others do the same. Today you get to you get a front row seat for an unbelievable story of addiction, recovery, restoration and a business story and all that stuff. He's a personal friend of mine. He's my architect for anything I need done around my house. <laughs> we have a project right now, which maybe maybe I'll get some insight as to whether or not he solved our zoning issues or not. He's a good friend of mine, and he's incredibly inspiring. Welcome to the Aggressive Life, Kurt Platt. Hey, Brian. <laughs> have you solved my architectural problem yet? Have you solved it? I think we have it solved, oh, yeah. yeah. Are you just saying that because you're on the podcast? Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if, if you don't solve it, I'm not going to release this podcast because you're going to get you're going to get so much new work as a result of this. Uh-huh. Kurt is very uncomfortable. He's over there right now. See, I just I just asked you in here just to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Now, hey, let's go. Let's go back to your story. Now, interrupt from time to time or whatever. Just bring people up to speed. Not not your necessarily your your architectural business. So that is part of the story. But just your story and. Um, your story in addiction. Yeah, I guess in a nutshell, basically I started using when I was 13 years old and I used for 29 years. And um, 14 years ago, um, I got clean. And the last decade of my using was just uh, tragic. And um, I, I, I hurt everybody that I claimed to love in severe ways. I, I would put trust in their hands and then I would take it away and I would betray them over and over and over again. You know, in in the addiction world, you know, we don't care too much about like labels and stuff like that. We've done so much work. But in the recovery world, my nickname's Crackhead Kurt. So and <laughs> crackhead. So I've been known to say you're on crack. Yeah, I, I probably right. shouldn't say that to you then. Oh, you can because it was <laughs> it was true for about a decade. So yeah, it's and so um, yeah, the last ten years of my using was just uh, as dark as any story I've heard. Um, I I abandoned my wife and I abandoned my children and I became um, completely unemployable, untrustworthy, and uh, I was a master manipulator of all people. And that's, that's where a lot of people land. 
But that's the story in a nutshell. Uh, if you want me to shake it out a little bit, yeah, I can. I, I, I do want you to shake it out a little bit, but just, just this comment first. I've heard you give your story a number of times. It's still for you, looking at you, this is still painful for you to talk about. I, I would think like 10 years sober of talking this story again and again and again, 10 years of being with people in addiction, you're, you're in Cincinnati are a guru of people who want to be with you who are in addiction. I would thought that it would be less painful to talk about, but when I look at you, it's still painful to talk about. Yeah, it's, um, I have complete freedom from addiction. I just, I don't struggle with it. I haven't had the desire to use in over 14 years. I haven't had a using dream in a decade, which is almost unheard of. But one of the one of my greatest tools is being able to is remembrance. It's remembering the story and going back. You know, which I, I think that's the human condition. As <laughs> when we forget where we came from and where we can go, how the enemy can actually enter into my life and manipulate me into believing something. If I if I am unable personally to go back to that and feel it in its fullness, then I I've lost one of the greatest tools that I that I've been given in this this battle against an enemy, which is the disease of addiction. So let's go back down the rabbit hole. Just go ahead and give us what your addiction looked like, what it did to you and the family, how it manifests itself. And some people are closet drinkers who when everyone goes to bed, they they knock back a bunch of gin yeah, and they go to bed and, and they sleep. Other people have patterns that are a little more obvious. Yours were pretty out there. Tell yeah. us about it. Well, you know, the disease of addiction is considered progressive. Um, what you just described, I was that guy for, for a number of years. I was a functioning uh, addict. I I drank and... I would I'd have blackout episodes and make fun of it. It, it was funny, um, but and that allowed me to go through college. It allowed me to get a license in my profession. It allowed me to uh, marry a woman, a wonderful woman, and have children and plant a picket a white picket fence in front of my house in Hyde Park. Um, and then, but it progresses, and and what it progressed into it, for me was. Um, I would go and um, I would go cop dope. One time, I went and cop dope. I've shared this before, and um, I left my kids in the car as they screamed, "Daddy, don't leave me! I'm afraid of the dark." And uh, and I walked up the street and stood on the corner for thirty to forty minutes for the dope boy to show up, and um, came back, and they were just they couldn't speak. And um, I um, one time I. Uh, I got the ATM card from my wife. I wouldn't be trusted with it, but I went through an outpatient and a couple inpatient treatment centers, and and I used that to gain her trust once again. And I went and um, I took the ATM card, and I just I was copping dope. And about a week later, she she remember or she uh, realized what was going on, and she changed the password, and. Um, at that time, her password was hope because I had gone through a couple inpatient recovery centers and and she had finally gotten a little bit of hope, just a little bit. And so she changed her PIN number to hope and 
um, I went out one night and the, and the password was changed. And um, I tried three times. Um, you get three shots. At, you know, addicts know that. <laughs> Normies don't know that. You know, Normies. they're like, yeah. is that what I am? I'm a normie. You're, you're, well, you're you're not normal, but yeah, we would call you a normie. <laughs> and um, the third time, I punched in H E L P help, and four hundred dollars popped out of the machine, and I hit that thing for. Uh, about two days for about $1,500. And, um, and I came back and handed it to my wife, the card. And she asked me, how, uh, how'd you do it? <laughs> how did, how did you, how'd you get the money? And I said, I guessed the password. And she, couldn't, she didn't believe me. And I said, help. And she just like started sobbing and walked away from me. Um, and then about an hour later just said, you've become a man of no integrity. And she started uh, setting up divorce proceedings and paperwork and all that stuff. Um, that's where it took me. Mm. It took me from, you know, I was in the delivery room for every one of my children's births. And I held them in my hands. And as I held them, I remember thinking to myself, I will lay down my life for you. I will take a bullet for you. And then I would leave them alone in the car. I would abandon them. Um, I would tell them I'd be home in an hour and I'd come back three days later. And I did that to them all the time. Um, so that's where it took me. That, that, that is where addiction, you know, uh, allowing an, the enemy to come in and influence me, to hypnotize me <laughs> into believing something is more important than all of those things. That's how powerful addiction is. You know, I hear your, your story. It's really kind of a dark side of aggressiveness, isn't it? You've got to drive to get a drug. You've got to drive. You're problem solving, right? You, okay, what could this code be? There's this level of gesticutiveness and endurance mm. that's there when you're fueling the addiction. Did, did you find that this attribute has been in other areas of your life or is it, was it solely a, uh, an, an area that popped up when you were using? Well, uh, yeah. It, well, it's interesting because um, in addiction, in active addiction, there's usually some attempts, and I, I, I'm, I, I did this, and it was, well, I'll just work, you know? <laughs> and so I'd go work 70 hours to try to prove myself. And, of course, I'm not, I'm not attacking the actual issue. I'm not solving the issue. I haven't done any healing whatsoever. And, and, and you see it in early recovery with a lot of young people, younger people or people young in recovery where – all of a sudden, they're pumping iron. Their necks disappear. <laughs> they, I mean, they're just they, – they walk in, and they're just like bulging muscles and, um, you know, body beautiful, all the stuff that you preach about, body beautiful, the money. I got to fix the money. I, I, I damage the family. I, I burn up the money. I'm, I'm going to go – Earn money by the time I've got ninety days clean. <laughs> I gotta solve everything, and um, and so there's this draw. Absolutely, and um, especially with addicts, there's an incredible drive. There's an incredible passion towards stuff, and 
you know. And of course, that that's the problem. The enemy uses that <laughs> for the wrong reasons and puts you deeper into addiction and puts you deeper in that rabbit hole. Um, you know, of course, when you get into recovery, you can actually um, a lot of people say chase recovery like you chase the dope. And you can, for a period of time, you can actually use that aggressiveness, that passion uh, towards recovery. And a lot of people are like, wow, man, you're overdoing it. You're, um, you're addicted to recovery. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're right. Got to be addicted I? to something. That's, that's a pretty good thing to be addicted to. You're, you're out of control. Like when I had eight months clean – my wife said that I would pick the recovery 12-step recovery program that I participate in over her. And I said, thank you so much for the compliment. Mm. And she didn't mean it as a compliment, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. so the, you said, I think you said at one point, the it, the it gets you. What, what, what's your thoughts on this? Is it, is it a, I know the standard line, it's a disease, but is this – what makes somebody prone to addiction and somebody else not prone um, or at least not as prone? Well, so there's a, there's a lot of theories on it and um, there's – you know, is it genetic? It, yeah, you know, it's genetic for me. I believe that. I, I had a great uncle or a great, great, great uncle who slit his throat in the black forest of Germany and left a note that said the drink killed him. Hmm. He, he was alcoholic. Um, I've, I have uh, my two great grandfathers died. One died in a rail car up in Sandusky with a, a bottle of wine in his lap, frozen to death, and um, and so it's in deep in in my DNA. There's no doubt about it, and I believe that. And a lot of people uh, question that. Um, there's people who um, you know I sponsor a lot of people. And I would say, like currently, I sponsor 25 people, and out of those 25, I would say two were not sexually molested between the ages of 5 and 10. It's, I, I can guess that. Interesting. And people think I have a, a crystal ball or, or I'm, I'm prophetic or something. And I'm like, no, it's just... Just the way it is. Just common. So you're trying to maybe... Uh, just salve a gaping wound. You're trying to block the feelings. You're trying yeah. to block the memories. Deep wounds, early childhood wounds, trauma-based. There's all kinds of talk about different things. Um, but really what it comes down to, and this is what I've learned, and uh, there's a lot of recovery literature out there that's just brilliant, is it's the human condition, but addicts experience it. Ten times as intensely, they're, they're feel, they feel it. Their um, their their ability to to internalize it is so great. They're willing to die instead of feel it. Mm. And it's and addiction has the same attributes. A lot of people are like, "Oh, I I just like the flavor of crack," <laughs> you know. And that <laughs> there's or, a flavor to or, crack. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. What is, what's the flavor of crack? Not if, like if, a butt crack, I assume. If, if you, be, that would not be a good flavor. If you've ever uh, been around someone cutting quartz countertops 
and you walk through and you smell it and taste it, that's what it tastes like. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, not many people know that. I don't. Yeah, I, I've never been around someone cutting the quartz. I, I'm curious to do that now. So is, is cutting quartz tabletops a gateway activity then? A it gateway drug? Oh, the first time that happened to me, I was like, who's smoking crack on the job? Wow. This, is a little, this is a little uncomfortable. Interesting. So, but there, everybody has the way they experience it is always the same. Is you know, it's not you know, I like the flavor of alcohol. I, you know, of course, you know, it numbs you, and there's there's these these immediate and, and um, obvious sensations that go along with it. But addicts, they insist on having their own way, and when they don't get what they want. They, they throw uh, a childlike tantrum and they will isolate, they will push everybody away, they will um, feel sorry for themselves, they will go into self-pity and self-loathing in a minute. When, when I describe this to somebody who's saying, I wonder if my kid's an addict, <laughs> and when I describe all that, they're like, whoa. <laughs> uh, uh. It's not the frequency of of the use, it's not um, even the the manner in which they use it. It's you know a lot of people are like, well, they don't they don't drink every day. And I was in treatment with one guy that he drank once um, a year, but you drank would end up under a bridge after like about five weeks, and his family would pick him up and drop him back off at treatment. He once drank a for year. five weeks. Five a, weeks, yeah, days. and end up under a bridge. A trust fund baby, you know, trust fund kid, and it's not the frequency; it's the it's the way we experience life and we react to it. That's addiction. Wow. So, what what do we do if we've got a a child, we got a spouse, we got a friend who's got these who's got these patterns? Is is there anything you can actually do, or what do you do? Well, you do what I'm doing with my children. My children are prone to this. They're uh, precon- preconditioned, basically, um, uh, to react to life in this way. I believe it's in their DNA, their, their genes. And, um, and here's what happens with addicts is they get stuck. They get stuck at a certain point in their life. Um, it, we have a piece of literature that is fantastic. Um, and uh, it, it talks about people insisting on getting fulfillment and contentment from people, places, and things. That's what they do. And, and most human beings grow out of that. They go through it. They find within themselves um, a, a solution or they, um, they find a higher power. They find God and they start – they mature through that moment. Um, addicts get stuck where they their wants and their desires, they demand that those are satisfied by people, places, and things. And they just stay there. Mm. They act like they're about 10 years old and they might be 65. Mm. And the best thing that I can do for my children is teach them how to move through that you know, I, my son, you know, one time I came home, my older son, and it was the first time he um, 
had a girlfriend and she broke up with him and he w- his heart was broken and and he was expecting her to fulfill him to, to meet this need and it was she's never supposed to take that position in your life she's never supposed to be that person she wasn't designed to do that i had to do that with my wife we were married 17 years when i finally got clean in the first 17 years, I demanded that she respond a certain way to me. To full, she was responsible for my fulfillment and my contentment. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Right, it is. That's insane. Yeah. And uh, addicts do that at this 10 times level. And when they don't get their way, there's disappointment, there's depression, there's despair. There's uh, pulling away. There's isolation. We run <laughs> to the next victim, put that on them, and do it again and do it again and do it again. We just jump all over the place, destroying lives. So it, there's really a, oh gosh, a, an intensity to which addicts do things to the extreme that all of us do. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. all of us are yeah. looking for people, place, or things to fill us up, whether yeah. it's our Amazon purchases and our, our, you know, adventure of the day or the, or the sexual partner of the day. But it's, it's, a, it's a more extreme form of that then. I, I would call it addiction, period. <laughs> Some are calling it what it is and trying to get help. So I, th- I think we all struggle with some level of addiction. Uh, we, we obsess and compulse over things. We're impulsively reacting to things. I love, I love the aggressive story about how your friends came after you. Talk about how yeah. people just said, no, no, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not going to ha- just watch you do this. I'm going to come after you. Yeah. Tell us that story. Yeah. So, um, you know, I found Crossroads Church and I would sit in the back um, sometimes high on crack, <laughs> and 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 I started. You were meeting. high on crack. You weren't. You weren't high on the amazing pearls of spiritual wisdom I was giving you. You actually, it was crack. I thought. I thought you were really affected by the very yeah, word of yeah, God yeah. coming to your life. No, it was the crack. Okay, you thought great. I was geeking out on your mouth. I did. I, I did. You were one person yeah. who was paying attention. I thought that guy's really in the zone. No, that guy's on crack. <laughs> Any way you can get us, right, Brian? That's, <laughs> That's right. So, um, but I was a part of this, and there was a handful of people that were um, pursuing me. I was standing in the hallway, and this one guy just said, hey, you want to have lunch? And and I went and had lunch with him, and he, like he's praying for me at Arthur's, at lunch, like holding my hand, and he's praying out loud. Just everybody's looking at Awkward. Us. So, yeah, it was very awkward. I did not want to be in that room, and... Um, and then there was another guy I kept, I was like coaching, I was coaching your son in, in soccer. You didn't know you had a crackhead coach. Did not, no. <laughs> I was, I was coaching Jake, man. And, um, and there was this guy that was coaching a, another team on the other field and, and he started pursuing me. And started finding out that I was struggling with with addiction, and um, he's he like jogged to my house and left notes in my mailbox, 
um, saying that um, God doesn't make junk. Uh, he makes extraordinary human beings, and you're unique, and I love you. <laughs> and I was like, creep. You know? <laughs> you know, that's a creepy, man. And, and then a day or two later, when I went out and didn't come home, and I finally came home with the, my tail between my legs, uh, I went to the mailbox hoping I would find another note. You know, I was like needing that. And um, there was, you know, I got pulled into these like these Bible studies and um, I finally got honest with them. They they were just so honest. We were down at a Frisch's in downtown. And um, at the end, we would do these, these prayer requests. And I finally just said, uh, um, pray for me that I don't smoke crack tonight. And uh, I had my eyes closed because I was so embarrassed. And the next thing I know, I had these men standing around me. I felt all these hands on my shoulders and my head, and and they started praying for me. And there was this uh, really animated African-American waitress that waited on us every time. And the last person that prayed for us was this waitress. <laughs> and she was like, wow. you know, like some like Southern Baptist prayer, you know, it was intense. And um but there was a whole bunch of that. When I got when I finally got clean, my wife and I sat down one time and we counted the number of people that were in the army that pursued me. And it was like 185 people. Mm. Um, the day that I got clean after I had a couple years clean, I was part of this community and man, Jerry rushing grabbed me out in the, uh, the atrium one time in front of everybody, you know, there was just people around us and he said hello to me and he could just, he told me he saw pain in my eyes and he walked away from me and he came and grabbed me, mm. um, a few minutes later and said, I have to pray for you right now. And he did. Mm. I mean, a whole bunch of people did that, all these, like, very uncomfortable situations that um, Allie Patterson wrote me this note. She just said, it was on my heart, and um, and she wrote something in there that my laugh brought joy to other people. And um, when she gave it to me, um, I had just gotten divorce papers again from my wife, and I was seeking out another treatment facility, and I had supervised visitations with my children, and I felt like a piece of crap. I felt like a zero in the in the in negative ten, and um, and she told me that I brought joy to other people's lives, and I was like, "How do you see that?" <laughs> um, and then I had like a guy who's my sponsor in recovery right now. He. Um, when I was out using, I was like trying to call the dope boy and he kept filling my voice messages up. So I, I couldn't get any voice messages <laughs> back from the dope man. That's aggressive. And he, and he was like quoting Romans, you know, I was like, what the hell are you doing, man? You're, you're messing my game up. And, and, and then he said, um, he left me a message one time and he said, I won't allow you to disappear you have worth, and I need you to help me do what we're doing on this side. And um, I, and I believe that he believed that. I didn't believe it about myself, but I believe that he believed it. And um, 
There was just, there was a whole bunch. I mean, the staff here at Crossroads, you know, you, Brian Wells, Chuck Moore, uh, Chuck Minga, just all these people just like, they just um, landed on me and pursued me. There was one time, and I was really embarrassed about it, is my wife came to church one day and she was pulled into the upper prayer room off the balcony and there were 24 people waiting for her. And they put their hands on her and they prayed mm. for her. Mm. And that's actually the day I got clean. And I had no idea. I was caught up in an apartment building in Walnut Hills using like I had never used in my life. Yeah. And something happened. It's, uh, it was profound. Mm. That, is, that is profound. Well, you had all those people who were coming after you. What do you think that was? You you had to be making some deposit in their life for them to care about you. You weren't just, you know, a guy who was staying at home watching TV. You were you were still engaged with people relationally. I was. Um, well, you know, you talk about the aggressive life. They, I believe that those people were doing like what I'm doing right now, and it's uh, recklessly just pursuing the lost and the broken. <laughs> um, I think that was most of it. That was most of it. I, I was doing a really good job of just destroying and um, uh, betraying people. I, I, I really was. Um, I, I was showing up to a degree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's very few people who have that story of addiction, that story of brokenness, that story of tragedy that get out of it. And a lot of folks just spiral out of control and have an early death. Yeah. Uh, you uh, you clued me in in November. You said, uh, you know, the whole COVID stuff is rocking the addiction community. You said in November, normally you, you would have been in 20 funerals for suicide by that time of the year. And at this point you were at 70. Yeah. I would say not suicide, but um, deaths from addiction okay. is what it was. Got it. Um, yeah. Maybe 20 and it's, it's, three to four times. Um, the, so the, the coronavirus shows up and it says, hey, we need you to isolate, socially distance, not hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, in, for an addict, even an addict who's in recovery, that, that's, a, that's a golden ticket to go back to addiction. Mm. Um, whether you use or you don't use, you go back to addiction, obsession and compulsion, alone with your own thoughts, not around the tribe that's going to breathe life into you and point out um, unhealthy behaviors and, and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, and you and I were talking about it, and it's, you know, the coronavirus, it's very real. Um, my wife is a COO of a health clinic in the inner city. They were vaccinating people on Saturday. It's very real. Those stories are real. There's no doubt about it. And people, hundreds of thousands of people are dying from this thing worldwide. But um, there, was, there was an epidemic in the addiction world. And some people call it the heroin epidemic. Some people call it, you know, opioid epidemic. Now it's the crystal meth epidemic. And, you know, everybody starts getting substance specific, but it's the addiction epidemic and it's been here for a long, long, long time. And it keeps changing names, but it's the exact same beast. Mm-hmm. And it was here and the the 
COVID shutdown, this whole epidemic that happened, uh, pandemic, has multiplied the severity. And the, and the, when we get to when we stop talking about the COVID virus, we're going to be talking about the epidemic again, and it's going to be it's going to rock everybody's world. The numbers that we're experiencing right now. Right, you and I were talking earlier about my. F- podcast with Francis Collins. He helped me out a lot. I'm, I'm going to take the vaccine when it comes. Um, but I'm still, I'm still not liking our response to COVID. I, I don't, I don't think that we're going to really know what was wise, what wasn't wise until about two, three years from now. You know, we're going to have to look back on this and see, we're going to have to see what the death rates are in the next two years, how many people died a year or two early. Um, we're going to have to take a look at how many people were in their 30s yeah. that died of addiction or died of sub because the the measures we took, yeah. it, it, it it crushed us. We, we, we just don't know. I'm not ready to crack on the government's response or church response or business because none, none of us know. We, we, right. we, we just don't know. All I know, all I know is it's been really easy for our country to rally around uh, public health and don't get the virus, but we're just not rallying around normal issues that people have that are massive, issues of loneliness, yeah. issues of needing substances, issues of... Uh, Gosh, all kinds of things that are getting accelerated in the resi- in, in the midst of our hysteria here. It, it's it's tough stuff. Mm-hmm. So your your the COVID aspect of this. Uh, I was trying to set you up for a compliment here. I was going to say not many people get through uh, a major addiction like you have. You've not only gotten through this addiction. From my outside perspective, you're actually thriving. With this addiction, on the other side of the addiction, you have a successful business, Platt Architecture and Design in Cincinnati, Ohio, incredibly artsy, incredibly creative, incredibly technical, uh, top-tier clients from all over the region want you and your company to do their design work. How many people do you have working for you right now? Uh, 25. You got 25 people working for you in a firm that you started. Kurt, has not ever, did not, anyone ever tell you that Crackheads can't recover and actually <laughs> and actually help society. Kirk, do, do, do you not understand that your whole life should just be about you and focusing on your problems? Who do you think you are starting a firm and employing 25 people and taking on their health care needs and taking on all the stress of a business? Well, how do you do that? Well, it's keeping the first thing first. It's um, paying attention. And um, it, here, here's one of the cool things about I don't survive the d- addiction. I don't. Uh, I don't suffer with the disease of addiction. I thrive, like you were saying. I thrive with it. You it's are. been It's been one of the greatest gifts ever given to me. I just. I. I would never change it. Period. My wife they? wouldn't change the story. She knows about me leaving the kids in the car. Really? Yeah, absolutely. We oh, you're on crack right now. I know. Come on, you're I, on crack. Are you serious? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Cutting you courts, man. Defend yeah. that a little bit. That sounds a little out there to me. Um, the way we live life, like the disciplines I have in my life came from recovery. It, it came as a direct result. The only way out of active addiction was for me to go after something aggressively, passionately, and make it the most important thing. Um, and the most important thing involves disciplines 
you know, daily disciplines that you were just preaching about it a couple of weeks ago in the wilderness, like doubling down. Um, you know, when, when COVID hit, I quadrupled down. I didn't double down. I quadrupled down. Everything that I had that was a healthy discipline, I knew something serious was going on and isolation was the potential and, and it was calling my name. And so I quadrupled down on, on my disciplines. And when I did that, it's, um, man, those, th- those disciplines go to my wife because I, I model them. They go to my children because I model them. And, uh, and by, as a result, my, my family puts something greater than themselves in focus and they go after it. <laughs> I never would have done that. I would just wouldn't been scratching and clawing my way through life, just trying to feel a little bit better and get comfortable like a lot of society does. And, and man, I... My job is to get as uncomfortable as I can at all times. And, and I find joy and peace in the midst of that. But I, it's always trying to get to a better place, trying to get to a, a more spiritually mature level. Just go after it like that. And if I didn't have addiction, I never would have done that. I would never have been given that gift. And I, I would then not be able to model it to my family. Um, you know, one time my oldest son told me that um, I, I told him, I went to him and I said, man, I was making an amends to him. And I said, uh, you, you know, you got the best, you got the worst of me and my son and our youngest, our recovery baby, <laughs> our youngest got the, got the best. And he was like, no, 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 dad, you got it all wrong. I, I got the best. He got the worst. I saw who you were and who you are now. And he didn't get to see who you once were. He doesn't even believe it happened. Mm. <laughs> I was wow. like, I mean, what an incredible gift. Wow, yeah. So. I, I, I'm, still, I'm still impressed by where you are in business in your life, though, because I got to think that when you're dealing with the Achilles heel of addiction— the, the the wound that keeps giving or the thing that you got to stay on top of, the thing that many people relapse with, the thing that's just, you know, you're, you're always in recovery, right? Um, that there's a lot less stressful ways to go after life than taking on a new business and taking on 25 people and taking on all the stresses that come. It's incredible. Everyone thinks having your own business is really interesting yeah. and awesome in the pinnacle until you actually have one. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you've multiplied the stress points in your life. You've multiplied the pain points in your life. Mm-hmm. You've multiplied the responsibility, but all that stuff has got to weigh you down, and yet you're standing strong. How is that? Um, it, it, one of the things I learned in early, like, recovery, and uh, once I got clean and, and I was really going after this, is uh, it— you know, this is like a mission field for me. It's, you know, it's not something I struggle with. It's uh, something I thrive with. And um, and I'm moving forward and it's about risk and it's about adventure and it's about the story and it's about all that other stuff. And a byproduct of that is my company grew. <laughs> you know, I just, I found human beings. I looked at the greatness in them and I breathed life into it. And, and that's all I've done 
it, a lot of people, I, I did not have a business plan. I never have. The banks didn't really like that when I asked for lines of credit. I didn't get a line of credit for a long time. <laughs> they were like, you're reckless. And I go, I know, I'm reckless. It's, it's um, you know, we charge after and we go towards the unknown. And, um, it, you know, I've had like a, a one-year plan and a three-year plan. And, you know, I've got uh, Vicky's with me now who oh, once worked here. She's my managing director and she's very... Uh, organized and she's a planner and I frustrate the hell out of her. She's like, you're just reckless. And I go, yeah, but it's controlled recklessness. You know, it's like, what's an example of you being reckless? Well, I mean, like, so I don't hire somebody because we have the money <laughs> because we have the budget. I hire people because they're a great talent. And I, my argument is it's, when they come here, they'll make the money <laughs> uh, <laughs> that will pay their salary. It's, uh, why, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why you would like have this 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 surplus and then be able to hire somebody because you have money coming in. Yeah. It's that that's not how I think, and that frustrates her very much. <laughs> like, that's not how you run a business. Right. Like, it's like, yeah, that's why you're here. Well, that's an aggressive move. That's why you're on the aggressive life. I mean, that's, yeah. that's aggressive, man. Yeah. But guess what? It's working. Yeah. 25 people are still getting paid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful architecture is still happening. That's powerful. Yeah. We're, we're fortunate. Kurt, are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, sure. The lightning right. round. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something here, and you need to give it back to me in a sentence or two. Are you up for the challenge? Sure. Yeah. All right, here Let's we go. go. Most aggressive move you ever made toward recovery? Um, sponsor my first person. Think that I could actually help someone, that I had something to give away. I know I might have an addiction if... If I insist on having my own way and I isolate if I don't get my own way. Best opening line to having a difficult conversation with somebody about substance abuse. My name's Crackhead Kurt. <laughs> and I abandoned my children. Uh, that's good. So, yeah, so we want to empathize. We want to try to put ourselves in a position of not being all together before we approach somebody thinking that we're superior. That's a good word. Thing most people misunderstand about addiction. Uh, why you have it. Um, yeah, they focus too much on why they might have it rather than their current circumstances. You're an architect. We've talked about that. So let's let's put this into, let's have two, your two worlds collide here for a moment. The foundation to recovery. Um, foundation to recovery is asking for help and receiving help from a tribe. The walls of recovery. The, the walls, I would look at it as a barrier is denial not admitting you have the problem. Yeah. It, it pro, that is a profoundly powerful tool that the enemy uses. How about the roof? 
the there is no roof, man. Yeah, yeah. Blow the roof off. It's uh, the sky's the limit. As soon as you hit the roof, just get going. Kurt, anything we should be talking about that I haven't asked you about? You've been great here. What 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 should I be asking? I'm not asking. What should we be talking about that we're not talking about? Or what do you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about? Uh, here's what I would say is um, addiction. Um, yeah, I mean, it's worldwide. I, I, I mean, I'm on these Zoom calls. One of the blessings of Zoom is I've been in New Zealand meetings, Australian meetings, meetings in Iran. Iran is the, the fastest growing recovery community on the planet right now. Wow. Yeah. And, um, wow. And, and so. Oh, stop right there. Why, do you, why is that? Well, they, they didn't have access to it for a long time. And somehow we, it's like getting Bibles into a communist country. <laughs> you know, you get recovery material into a country like that, and they just gobble it up. Interesting. Because the world suffers with Wait, this. you're telling me hyper-religious cultures still have addictions? Yeah. <laughs> you're, telling me, you're telling me you can't legislate and moralize somebody to not have a secret yeah. vice? Yeah. So it's 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 worldwide, it's it's intense. And when I sit in Zoom meetings, every third person that shares, and they're sharing like every four minutes, talks about somebody who they were close to who, who has died. The number of people dying from this is going to rock everybody's world. And it's not just my problem. It's not Crossroads Church's problem. It's it's a world problem. It's everybody's problem. Um, and there, there needs to be greater awareness and focus on it. Hmm. All right. One more question. When am I going to get my freaking building permit? <laughs> <laughs> what? Actually, what? We're, we're, yeah, we're responding the, to that actually tomorrow. Oh, all right. Okay. There's like three things on it. I just had to get something in there. I just had to, had to do one more I thing. I know. You got it. <laughs> it's all you about it. me. It's Maybe I am. An, it's all about me, right? Yours has been a long road. We, we've done 15 projects in the amount of time we spent on yours. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we won't bore people with details of that. Well, hey, this has been a great time. Kurt, if somebody wants to uh, connect with you, know what's going on with you, um, follow up with you, not personally, but you got any social media accounts or websites or anything like that that you want to throw out there to folks? Um, I mean, they could send it to my website at work, but um, you know, I'll give you my cell number and you can post it on your your website that is aggressive have yeah. we ever had somebody give their cell phone number i all right here we go what absolutely you, what is it it's uh 513-616-5322 and um if you if you have any issues you struggle you're struggling in any way um i've got an entire tribe of warriors that do this they're they're you used the word aggressive we need a a, a a bigger word than that for these guys. They're they're lunatics. <laughs> they just are, and and they 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 are able to help. It's, uh, well, I like that you're color, you're coloring off script. There, there you did it again. If you're getting criticism that you're being reckless in your hiring practices, which obviously it's still working for you, yeah. some people go, "Man, that's pretty reckless to give your personal yeah. cell phone number," and yet that's exactly what you did. Man, you were. I am. I am honored to have you in my life. Yeah. I'm thankful to see the work of God in your life. I'm thankful for how you bless me and help me. And I don't mean architectural problems, 
because actually you're not helping me at all right now because you're you're being too slow. <laughs> no, 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 no. You you have blessed me with the architectural world, but you've you've also blessed me by being an example and a shining light of somebody who loves people and goes after people and a reminder that God never wastes anything. And you're never done until God says you're done. And these sound like trite spiritual phrases to some, but they're real and they're lived with you. You're you're a warrior and you're a hero, and I love you very much. And I respect you very much, Kurt. Thanks, Brian. I love you too, man. Big part of my story. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Kurt and I are going to come cry together. I, I don't want to do any crying. We've, we've, had, we've had too much crying episodes. People are still, still like trying to find Kleenexes after the Denny Patton episode. So I don't want to have a cry fest here, but I think Kurt and I are going to have one. We're going to have one off the air. So that's it. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.